Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is not your ordinary deck of playing cards. These cards contain 52 unsolved cases, and with every hand that's played, the stakes are unusually high. They've been dealt to inmates across the nation, and investigators are hoping their tips will stack the odds in favor of the house. Now it's your turn. These victims have been dealt an unfair hand, and it's up to you to deal justice. Somebody, somewhere, has information that could be investigators' ace in the hole. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of Dealing Justice. I'm Lori Jennings. And I'm Jennifer Dubasek. In today's episode, we learn about the heinous murder of Alicia Suarez, a 23-year-old bank teller and single mom living in Orlando, Florida. Alicia was last seen by her ex-boyfriend in her Cypress Club apartment in East Orlando on March 4, 2002. All these years later, Alicia's family is still searching for justice. We would love to see the day when there were no faces to put on the cold case playing cards. But until that day comes, we will continue telling these stories in pursuit of dealing justice. It's time for us to solve these cases one card at a time. Help us deal justice for Alicia Suarez. In today's episode, we learn about the heinous murder of Alicia Suarez, a 23-year-old bank teller and single mom living in Orlando, Florida. This is episode four, the Alicia Suarez case, Seven of Spades, Florida Deck. This episode of Dealing Justice brings us to Orlando, Florida, where a smoldering secret still burns with deception and injustice in the city beautiful. Alicia Suarez was born on February 10, 1979, in Brooklyn, New York. She was the youngest of three children with an older brother, Louis, who was the middle child, and her older sister, Carolyn, who was 10 when she was born. This is not one of those stories where we tell you she was born into suburban bliss. Alicia's mom struggled to protect and provide, forcing Alicia's older sister, Carolyn, to act as her surrogate mom during those early childhood years. Here. 
big sister Carolyn tells us about Alicia and how they struggle to survive their childhood. My name is Carolyn Casella. I actually was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I am the oldest of three. Alicia was the baby. Well, she was my baby. And we grew up pretty hard. It was very hard for us. You know, we grew up poor in an abusive home. It was bad enough that, you know, I was the oldest, so I always had to protect her. And she was always a good kid, very timid, humble. My mom wasn't a good mother, and she always had these boyfriend and men in and out of the house. And me and my sister did get sexually molested as kids. But I, I didn't care what happened to me. I always wanted to protect her. So I was willing to take the hits, whatever it was, just make sure she didn't get it. As a child, as far as I could speak and remember and do things, was always to protect her. It's so sad because we, we were born fighting. They may not have been the Brady Bunch, but Carolyn and her siblings bonded over their hardships and managed to survive by creating their own version of family life, in spite of the dysfunction and chaos they were marinating in. You fight with your sister, you get mad, but with me it was different. A lot of people thought, oh, that's weird, you're asking your sister for permission. But she had a lot of respect for me because of the environment we grew in. You know, and we, at that time we lived in New York in the Brooklyn area. Williamsburg, which is was not good back in those days. When I tell you, ladies, I did things to protect my sister. My mom was a very abusive mom. So when we were young, she would leave us in the house all alone. You do that now, you get arrested, obviously. But I had to survive. And I'm not proud of it. I know I was going be like, well, what did you do? I remember as a kid, I was 13 years old. It was like almost the summertime. I was in school, junior high school, 111 in Brooklyn. And I used to help the nurse because I had an extra free class. And I noticed that she would stamp these working cards. And I asked her, hey, what are those for? She was all the kids from the high school. They come here in the summer. Um, I, I gave them the physical and then they get their working cards. So I looked at her and she was, oh, yeah, but you got a long wait. You're only 13. You have to wait till you're 16. I actually stole that working card to pretend I was 16 to work in the summer in this store. It was a Jewish man, very nice. And he sold like linens, blankets and said, and I, all day I would iron things, put things up, but I didn't care. Back then it was just $2.50. Could you imagine trying to survive $2.50? Alicia and her siblings endured unimaginable pain growing up. And finally, things came to a boiling point when Alicia was just eight years old. Well, we had to go to court because my mother's boyfriend had beat me pretty badly. Um, it was, she was dating some guy and she got married. He, he was in the house not even a month, and he attacked me and beat me. So I got an order of protection. I went to court, and then my aunt joined me. And my aunt said, look, you know, we got to get the kids out of there. It's, it's just getting to a point that it's too bad. My mother was upset. My mom told my aunt, you knew me first. How dare you go on their side and not mine? I'm your sister. And my aunt told her, you may be my sister, but I got to protect my nieces and nephews because you're a monster right now. So that's how everything started. For me, as a teenager, I went to live with my aunt. My sister had went with my mom's brother, Junior, and then my brother, who's he's the middle child, he went with her other brother. So we were all separated. Although we were separated and I missed her so much, I was fine with that because I knew she was safe with him. And then from then on, we were through, you know, through the court. 
when she was 13, Alicia went to live with her Aunt Dorothy in Florida. My name is Dorothy Torres, and I am her maternal aunt. My sister passed, and then I got Alicia. She was 13 years old. But when I got Alicia, I was here, so it was hard for her to adjust uh, losing her mom. And then coming to Florida is a big difference, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, she was a smart girl, and she had very funny, humorous way of being, very inquisitive. Here's Alicia's sister, Carolyn, again. My aunt, Dorothy Torres, was the one who actually, you know, decided to help us. And she raised me, she raised my sister, and she, for me, she did an awesome job. We came from a rough area, and she tried to make it a little bit better. There was abuse, but in her house, it wasn't. In her house, it was just love and trying to help us out and heal. During that time, I was like 19, almost 20. I didn't care for Florida back then. I had my dad in New York, my my biological father, because me and Alicia had different fathers. So that's why I went back. And I felt safe because I knew uh, Dorothy was taking care of Alicia. So, you know, I was comfortable with that. I was like, okay, she could stay here. At that time, Alicia was a teenager. I said, she needs to finish school and stuff like that. And then as I got older, you know, and Alicia got older and so did my brother, we all did our, our separate things. But the bond between her never broke. I would speak to her and write her all the time, especially writing. Back then, writing was like, not like today we have, you know, our, our cell phones, but I loved writing and I loved reading her letters. Alicia was in school in Florida and her Aunt Dorothy looked after her and loved her like a daughter. She even had a core group of friends. Here's Lisette. She's a childhood friend of Alicia's. I met Alicia, she was, I think, going into ninth grade or 10th grade, and I was going into to eighth grade. We, we did a lot together, always, always together, either catching the city bus to the mall, hanging out after school. We definitely had our crushes, and we were able to talk to each other about it. Yeah, just boys from school, maybe, maybe some from the neighborhood. It was all fun. Even though she was only 13, she met a boy named Caleb, and he would become her boyfriend and would turn out to be the love of her life. Of course, you know, she was in love and, you know, first sweetheart you get when you're 13 years old. And um, She met him at 13? Wow. Yes, 13. You know, because a lot of people like, oh, you don't stay with the same guy. She was with this guy since she was 13. But, you know, she was, she was with him from 13 all the way into her 20s. Education was extremely important to Carolyn, and she stressed the importance of that to Alicia. While Carolyn was living in New York, Alicia was thriving in Florida. And in 1997, she graduated high school and went on to enroll in Valencia Community College in Orlando, as she promised her sister she would. Alicia seemed to be pulling away from the trauma of her past, and she was reaching her goals. But not everything went according to plan. She wound up getting pregnant while she was in college, and she was terrified to tell me because she knew. I said, Alicia, our education is key. And she was very smart. She was smarter than me in the book-wise. I did my B's and C's, but Alicia was always on top. Very smart. She didn't even have to study, and she would get it. Unlike me, I would have to get tutors. During that time, I was so upset with her. She cried and told me, I promise you, sister, I'm going to graduate college. I'm going to make you proud. And I was upset with her. I said, how did you not use protection? Not that I didn't want her to have kids, but I just wanted her to get her education and then marry a kid. During that time, she was doing good, even though she was pregnant. And she went with a big belly. I was so proud of her. 
I was really proud of her. And then, you know, as time went by, my niece was born. I came down when my niece was born. It was, I was so happy. Like, it was just such a, such a joyous time. On May 30th, 1998, Clarissa Rivera was born and Alicia became a mom. By this time, she was 20 years old. Alicia and Clarissa's father, Caleb, tried to make things work as a young couple, but life was pulling them in different directions. And they agreed it was best to part ways and work on co-parenting Clarissa, which they did. You know how that is, the in-laws try to interfere. My sister was headstrong. She thought, look, when you grow up, then come back to me. But right now, I have to go to college. I have to work, take care of her daughter. During this time, Alicia got a job as a bank teller and continued to go to school while raising a toddler. It was a tough schedule for the first couple of years, but Alicia made it work and she kept her sense of humor while doing it. She worked in the bank. She was in college. Her dream was to become a therapist to help kids the way we were. Oh, my gosh. She was funny. She had this vivacious laugh. You will laugh because of her laugh. I mean, she was a jokester. And whenever they would get their checks on Friday, her boss would say, well, you got to get online, get the rest of them. So she would pretend she was pregnant. She would go and put some clothes like in her dress or something. It's okay for her to go to the front to cash a check. Funny, when her friends told me I dying, I was like, oh my God, you did that, Alicia. She said, hey, I had to cash my check. I have to pick up her. You know, I have to pick up your niece. And I was just like, you're so funny. But at the same token, my sister had a big heart. She would help anybody, anyone. She was like that. Alicia was the whole package. Funny, smart, ambitious, and confident. It wasn't long before she met someone through mutual friends, and he seemed like the perfect guy. Carolyn tells us when she first heard about Alicia's new boyfriend, Angel, and how almost immediately she saw red flags. She started dating this guy. She's talking to me. She's like, oh, I'm dating this guy named Angel. He's awesome. He was in the Marines. So I'm like, okay, he sounds like a catch, you know? And then I would tell her, hey, you know, do you know his family? And she's like, well, actually, no. He lives with his sister who he claims is bipolar, and she gets irate when she sees people come over. Me, personally, I found that weird. I was like, really? <laughs> I mean, don't don't we all have a crazy uncle or aunt or even a cousin that comes over and gets drunk on the holidays? That's just normal. He would bring her there, but never inside. Just like, I was like, hey, wait, I'll be right back kind of thing. So I said, hey, hon, why don't you just do what we do? Get some type of pastry, knock on her door. So she, did, she took my advice. And I feel so bad that she took my advice because not even three hours later, I get the call and she's directly crying saying, oh, my God, you're right. There was a flag. He's plainly dirty. That's actually not his sister. He lives with her. I was even shocked. I was like, what? God, he's really a huge playboy. They dated for about six months or maybe a little more. And, you know, she broke up with him. She's like, no, I'm, no, no, no. He's like, oh, we're in separate bedrooms. I mean, he tried to convince us in any way. But, you know, we were very abused kids and we used to see things like that with my mom. So we promised each other we will never be with a cheetah or man who hits us. We were always against the Mexican violence. And she was strong. I have to tell you, she was she may have been young, but she was strong. She she left them. No turning about nothing. He couldn't take no for an answer. Constant calls, showing up to her job. It got to a point she told her boss and the boss told him, hey, Angel, you call you again. I'm going to have to call the cops on you. This is getting ridiculous. We're running a business. I told her, be careful, not thinking anything. Alicia wanted more from life, so she just simply moved on, but not Angel. 
And I remember that it was like a, almost a year, I, I want to say about a year, that Alicia was not dating him. I know that in January 2002, she visited me on, on the New Year's. She came on New Year's Day, knocked on my door and surprised me. I had like a weekend visit with her. We had such a great time. And I remember that we were sleeping, must have been like 5 o'clock in the morning, and her phone is going off. She would hit it and go, it would go off again. She would hit it. I kept pick up. Maybe maybe it's, you know, our arm. Maybe, maybe something with Clarissa, her daughter. And she's like, oh, it's a private number. And she picks it up. Guess who it is? Her ex. I hear him like a, like a man's voice, but I can't hear everything he's telling her. But I know what she's telling him. How you got my number? Why are you calling me? It's none of your business. And I could only imagine what she's saying. He's probably saying, who you with? And he's just going off on the phone. She puts it on speaker and he's like, oh, who are you effing? And she says, none of your business. Stop calling me. I'm going to call the cops the next time you call my phone. She hangs up. And, you know, for a split second, I got that, that knot in my stomach. And I look at her and I'm like, Alicia, do I need to be worried? She's like, no, he's just mad because, he, you know, I won't go back with him. And she did mention, she goes, yeah, once in a while he'll, he'll, he'll pop up wherever I'm at, barbecues, things like that. You know, I had to talk with her. I was a little, un, like, you get that, I, I don't know how to explain it, like that pit in your stomach. But I just felt uncomfortable with it. I said, it's, it's been over a year. I said, be careful. It's almost like he's a stalker. I remember when she, when she laughed, I called my my aunt and I said, you know, and I kind of mentioned this to her. She was, don't worry, she'll be fine. We'll keep an eye. Why do you think that, though? And I, and I explained the phone call to her. And she says, no, no, she's fine. During this time, she was already in Florida. And, you know, the next month, February came, and I was just like, I don't know what it was. I can't explain to you ladies. I don't know if it's a calling. I don't know if it's, it's a curse. I don't know if it's a blessing. But I could not stop thinking about this. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go to Florida. I want to make sure she's okay. And I used to work for a doctor, and I was his assistant. He was so upset with me. He said, but Carol, you don't have vacation. I said, look, I guess fire me because I'm going to go. I said, I'm just going to take an extended weekend. After not being able to shake that feeling that something was wrong, Carolyn decided to get on a flight to Orlando, Florida to go spend some time with her sister. This ended up being a decision that she will never regret. And I went there and then, you know, I saw her. We went out. It was such a beautiful weekend. I felt safe and I talked and I said, is everything okay? And then she said, I got a surprise for you. And I said, what? I thought she was pregnant at this time. I said, no, no, it's not that. I knew she was seeing her daughter's father. And then she goes, hey, nobody knows yet, but me and Caleb are going to get married. And I was so happy for her because I was like, wow, her childhood sweetheart. She says, we agreed unless he comes home and he does things the right way. She goes, and if anything, we're going to do the wedding in the summer. So I was excited. I said, hey, we got a wedding to plan. I felt good. I felt like my shoulders just kind of like limp back down to normal. I, then I felt good. I was like, you know what, Carolyn, it was all in your mind. So then when I found that she was with Caleb, they, they were getting back. And, and she was like, yeah, I'm going to take him out for his birthday. His birthday is March 10th, I believe. I was happy. We, we, we went to Universal Studios. Remember, no cell phones. I took lots of pictures, you know, at the one hour. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I spent a ton of money developing the pictures. I love my niece. You know, that was my first niece. And I was so excited. I felt good. I felt good that Sunday. And I remember my brother and I was like, hey, we're both here. You're the missing link. You know, we need our trio. So, you know, at that time, I liked visiting Florida, but I didn't like it because I was used in New York. I had my own place. I was happy. So I said, no. I said, I said, I said, 
Florida's for the old people. They're like, no, you need to come. She took me to the airport, her and my aunt. You know, I was I was sad to leave them because I was. And she gave me this big old hug I will never forget. And she put her hand in my, my, she pulled my hand. She said, you better come to Florida. And I said, Florida for the birds. You know, and those, <laughs> that's actually was my last thing. You know, I told her. I would never think that she would be gone so young. Meanwhile, Alicia was planning a day with her friends at the fair in Orlando. Her daughter, Clarissa, was now three years old and was spending the night with her father, Caleb. Alicia went to the fair as planned, but according to Carolyn, she was upset when she ran into Angel there. She left and went home to her apartment. You know, I got home and I don't know if any of you uh, live in New York, but I lived in Long Island. So the airport to Long Island, that's a ride. By the time I got home, it was almost midnight. I did call her, and to this day, I will always regret that because I hung up the, fo- the phone because I said, oh, man, if she's sleeping and she gets up, she's going to be so pissed with me. You know, I, I, I rang three times and I let it go. But you know what? I couldn't sleep. I don't know if it was jet lag, like twitching my legs. I kept getting up. I was like, before I knew it, I turned around. I was like, oh, my God, it's time for me to go to work. It's five in the morning. I got to get ready. And that's what I did. Monday, March 4th, 2002. Like every Monday morning, this one was no different. People all over the world are dragging themselves out of bed to start the work week. Some recovering, some reminiscing over the weekend highlights, and some at the Colonial Bank in Castleberry, Florida, were wondering why their always reliable co-worker didn't show up for work that morning. And others across town were calling 911 to report a strange fire at the Cypress Club Apartments. Here's Aunt Dorothy again. The fire alarm went off on the building, the apartment building. So they know that was around 615, 30, 615, something like that. But basically when the alarm goes off, the fire department comes out. So they came to the apartment building and everybody came out, but they didn't find no fire. So everybody went back in. However, when the apartment underneath her went back in, there was water coming down, like the sprinkler systems went off. That's a lot of water by that time. Maintenance guy went to the door to knock because they said, you know, she never came out. I wonder if she dared the baby. Her car was there, but they didn't remember seeing her come out when the alarms went off. When they went to the door, they would knock and nobody. So when they opened the door, all the smoke came out. And that's when they called the fire department again. When firefighters gained entry, they discovered 23-year-old Alicia Suarez's badly burned body on the floor, with bedding and a chair piled on top of her burning body. They quickly discovered that the fire was a cover-up. Alicia had suffered multiple stab wounds to the chest and neck and was dead prior to being set on fire. And when I got there, it was just so surreal. It's just like the movies. And they had all the crime scene taped. And I start running towards the tape because we couldn't get close enough to the building. And I'm, I'm running towards it, and I see the cops running right towards me. I said, I got to go over there. And they said, no, 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 we're, we're waiting for you. We're going to take you over here. And they took me to another building. And then they said, are you Dorothy Torres? And I said, yes. They said, the officers should be coming soon to talk to you. And it was Sandra Carlton of Homicide Division. 
sorry to inform you. And now I remember, but I I lost breath. My cousin says that I just went down. Like my knees, I just came down and I just had to run to the bathroom and just start to throw up. I, I It was an experience I never felt. And um, I thought, it can't be, it can't be, you, you must be mistaken. It couldn't be a homicide. No. He said there was a fire. I said, maybe it was a fire, but she couldn't, I could not imagine someone killing her. Back in New York, after a restless night of sleep, Carolyn headed to work. Pulling into the office, she had an uneasy feeling when she saw her co-worker standing at the door, seemingly waiting for her to arrive. I went to work, and I'm so happy. I have my pictures from Florida. I'm going to show it to my co-workers. I was, I was excited. So remember, as I told you, I thought I would get fired because I took time that, that I didn't have. And I noticed when my co-workers were holding the door, and I could hear him say, she's here. And I'm like, oh, God, is that a, is that bad or good? Should I be worried? As far as I'm walking to my friend, she's also a childhood friend. And I said, is anything, everything okay? And she looked like she was sad. I said, oh, God, I'm getting fired. I'm just getting fired. And they're rushing me to, to my boss's office. And he picks up the phone to whoever it is and says, don't hang up. No, 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 she's here. She's here. And he gives me the phone. I'm, like, so confused. I'm like, what is going on here? And that's when I heard my uncle's voice. And he's a tough guy from the Bronx, doesn't cry, never cries. When he's crying, I know something's bad. And he's telling me, oh, you got to take an emergency flight out. You got to come to Florida. I'm like, Robert, my suitcase is still by my door. I haven't even unpacked. It's not even 24 hours. What are you talking about? First thing that comes to mind, oh, God, it's grandma. She's old, right? That's the first person you're going to think that something's wrong. No, it's not grandma. So I'm like, oh my God, who, who is it? Dorothy, my aunt. No, she's fine. And then it clicked. It was my sister. I said, oh my God, what happened to Alicia? My sister had lupus. So I thought maybe she had a flare-up or a car accident. And he's crying. He's literally crying like a baby on the phone. And he said, just get on the plane. I said, I'm not getting on the plane until you tell me what's going on. He, he didn't want to tell me. He says, I can't tell you like this. I have to tell you in person. I said, well, now you have me beyond intrigued, and I want to know now. And when he said, it's a homicide, it's like I'm hearing the words, but it sounds like it's in slow motion. And it's like, no, I, I misunderstood what he said. I said, who? who? Who's hurt? He's like, no, honey, not hurt. Your sister's dead. I was just like, like I could I couldn't. Like, accept it. I was like, no, no. I said, I touched her. I hugged her. I kissed her. I have pictures. We had a good weekend. No, Robert, you're lying. You sure I may, may go check the hospital? He's like, no, honey. She's dead. Carolyn was crushed. Everything hit me all at once. My boss, he was wonderful. I'm here. I'm thinking he's going to fire me. And he's the one who bought my ticket. He's the one who helped me get on board. He had to medicate me, of course, because I was, I was just, it was really bad, really bad. It almost felt, I felt my heart ache so bad that I thought I was having a heart attack. That's how much the pain I felt. And I said, you know, I had a bad feeling. I don't know. It was just like, I can't explain it. And I, I thank God I did it because you know what? If I would have never made that trip. The last time I had saw her before that trip was a while. So I believe 
that God put me there to say goodbye to my sister. I do believe that. Because that was our last stop as brothers and sisters. That was our last stop with all our kids and our children. You know, sharing that wonderful moment to then someone come and snuff her. And then I lost it. I threw up and I remember throwing up like in the, the you know, the garbage can. I felt dizzy. I felt lightheaded. My boss had to medicate me because I was just, in, I was so hysterical. I, I just kept screaming and screaming and screaming because I was so angry at that moment. I was like, how could someone take her what she's been through? She's been through so much. Just when she's in her peak, that she's doing good, that she's going to be graduating college, someone killed her. She says she immediately knew there was only one person who would want to hurt her sister. And automatically, automatically it hit me. Bam. You had every reason to be scared and know everything's not okay. And yes, I know who did it. I knew in my heart it was Angel. I knew he was the only one that that was obsessive. He was the only one that was jealous. He was the only one that had a living girlfriend and still wanted to be with my sister. Her friends used to say how whenever they were in a group setting, he wouldn't talk to them. He wouldn't interact. He would get upset, go to a corner, and kind of grab Alicia's like like by her wrist and say, hey, let's go. And Alicia literally would pull her arm away from him and be like, no. And I, I think it bothered him because she was so headstrong. He couldn't control her. There was no way he could control maybe the living girlfriend, but not Alicia. And me and Alicia, were, were, the way we were raised and we were so abused, were triggered. So the moment we feel like a guy is on top of us or pulling us, or that, right there, that's a, a flag that we don't give them the second chances. No, automatically. After arriving in Florida to be with her grieving family, Carolyn tells us that she had to go to Alicia's apartment, the last place her sister was alive. When she saw the apartment, she had a horrible feeling this was going to be an uphill battle. You know, the moment I got there, it was like, forget it. Everybody was like a zombie. Everyone was crying and crying and crying. Detectives trying to talk to me. I told them everything that transpired through the past months. I told them the the the, the reason I was there. And he looked, um, they looked at me and they were like, oh, you, you felt that? I was like, yeah. It was a struggle from the beginning. I'll give you an example. Our computer was still there, ladies. We were able to get into that apartment the very next day. And I looked at my aunt and I said, are you serious? We're allowed to be here? Sometimes they go and come back to check for more evidence. She says, I know. And when I looked at her computer, I was pissed. I was like, why the hell is our computer there? We need to give this to to, to them. Mm-hmm. It's important. You don't know if there's something in there that can help them. So it, it started sloppy and it ended sloppy. Investigators traced Alicia's last movements, and just as Carolyn had suspected, Angel's name came up. He was brought in for questioning where he admitted to being with Alicia at her apartment earlier that night after she supposedly willingly invited him there. Carolyn tells us more. It was so ironic because when I'm talking to the detective, actually, the next day, and she's telling me, well, he claims that he went by your sister's house automatically when she said that I said he claimed I said first of all they were he was her enemy she was trying to get away from this guy and and in my view he would try to always convince Alicia but she knew what he was he had that living girlfriend there was no business for him to attempt to be with Alicia I remember approaching him during this when when we had her funeral and the detective told me I know you have a lot of anger you can tell in your face how you're feeling you're gonna have to just like Keep your composure. 
how do you keep your composure with something like that? It was so hard. I just wanted to slap him and throw him in, in the fire or something. The jerk came to the funeral, trying to act like so, like, oh, yes, I miss her. Someone did it. But when I spoke to him, I said, hey, I hear you saw my sister last. Can you explain it to me? He was very nervous. His hands were shaking. He was, you could see it. I'm looking at his hand and his hands is like shaking. Not mine. My hand wasn't shaking. My hand was stern to give him a nice smack. And he says, yeah, your sister called me, which I knew that was a freaking lie. Oh, your sister called me. She was depressed. She was not depressed. She was happy. She was getting, so I'm listening to all this crap because I already know it's a lie. And he's like, yeah, um, you know, I came over, but she she fell asleep on the sofa. So, you know, I, I left. The door wasn't locked. You get what he's trying to say, ladies. Like someone came and killed her out of the blue. He goes, oh, I, I didn't have no keys. And if she was sleeping, I didn't want to wake her up. Any person in their right mind is going to wake up their friend, their girlfriend, whoever it is. You think I'm going to leave a person that I'm in their house and they fall asleep? No. I'm going to be like, hey, get up. Close the door. So he claims, oh, it uh, it was closed but not locked. Are, are you kidding me? You expect me to believe those lies? But he had to say he was there because he knew his DNA. Yes, because his, he's not dumb. He's very smart, I, I tell you, because he knew his DNA was going to be there. A lot of the, the evidence was because he, oh, I was there, so that's why that was there. Everybody knows he killed my sister. The case against Angel took a turn when a $3 gas charge was discovered on his ATM record. The timestamp put Angel near Alicia's apartment at the time of her murder. Carolyn shares more. They checked with the bank during the time that he said he was home. And they let the manager know, look, this is a murder case. This is not something petty. We need to make sure on the times. They assured the detective that those were the times. So they arrested him on that because then the time he said he was at home and the time that he purchased $3 a gas, which who purchases $3 a gas? This kid made money. Why he purchased $3 a gas? I know why he purchased $3 a gas. That was to pour over my sister. But I was depressed. I was sad. Grief-stricken. I was just like so angry. I was like, why is this a-hole not in jail? But I know it's a process. Two months after Alicia's murder, her then 24-year-old ex-boyfriend Angel was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. After Angel was arrested, the case against him began to unravel, starting with an alibi. According to the report, he claims he was with his girlfriend at her home in Winter Springs, which is about 15 miles away. This is the same girlfriend that Alicia had found out about when she was dating him. His girlfriend backed his story up and police discovered he took it one step further. It's funny because when they did all, you know, they bring you in the interviews and stuff like that and they kept bringing his girlfriend. He was irate. He told Detective Fulton, why do you keep bringing her? She has nothing to do with this. And she, you know, he's like, really? She has nothing to do with this? I can have her here as many times as I want. There's nothing you could do. You're not married to her. Those were her words. And then guess what? They get married. The receipt was a damning piece of evidence and one that made the state feel confident enough to arrest and charge Angel for the murder of Alicia Suarez. As it turns out, Angel's ATM transaction for $3 in gasoline the night of the murder was the investigator's prime piece of evidence, but the bank had made a mistake. They informed the police that the timestamp for the gas purchased 
was unfortunately misinterpreted by the bank representative under the wrong time zone. If indeed this corrected timestamp was accurate, it no longer fit the investigator's timeline. Angel had to be released. To further complicate the case, the state of Florida has what is called Florida's Speedy Trial Rule. It requires prosecutors to bring a defendant to trial within 175 days. And if you fail to do that within the legal parameters set, they can no longer bring the same charges against him, even if new evidence comes to light. And because Angel was arrested and charged, the clock was running against the state of Florida. Florida's speedy trial rule is one that not many people realize exists until something like this happens. We wanted to talk to an expert on this topic to help explain the legalities of this rule. So we asked Brett from the Prosecutor's Podcast to explain this to us. Well, talking about the Speedy Trial Act in general, basically every state has one. They're all intended to sort of give effect to the Constitution's protections that everybody has if they have a speedy trial. And the whole idea behind the speedy trial is what you don't want is for someone to be arrested and then just languish in jail for years on end without ever getting a trial. So you want to make sure that there is some teeth to that idea that they should have a speedy trial. And the way you do that is you have these rules that essentially say these are the circumstances in which there can be some real consequences if you don't do what you're supposed to do, uh, state. And I think that's what you have here. This is a, you know, we call it a law, but it's really some regulations that have been promulgated by the Florida Supreme Court about how they are going to enforce this speedy trial right. I mean, this guy was arrested and indicted. As I read it, I mean, they were pretty far along, realized that they had this big issue in their case. This is a lesson for everybody, too. Like some of these big cases, you'll see people really pressing for an arrest, pressing for an indictment. They don't understand why the person's not arrested yet. We all know he did it. Yeah, why is it taking so long? There must be politics, right? There must be, there must, he must have some influence in the DA's office or whatever. And the reality is you better have all your ducks in a row and all your evidence ready before you indict. Because things like this that the public doesn't generally think about are going on in the background. As long as you haven't arrested somebody and indicted somebody, all you got to worry about is the statute of limitations. As long as you, you know, act within the statute of limitations, which is usually pretty long, and there is none on, in most states on murder, you're fine. But once you take those official acts, then all these other protections start coming into play, and you have to worry about them. That means unless someone else is found responsible and charged with Alicia's murder, no matter what comes to light, Angel can never be charged. Carolyn and her family were shocked. I'm like, wait a minute, wait, wait, let me, let me get this. Let me understand this. I'm thinking, no, he could never be tried. I'm thinking, okay, that they released him because they messed up, that the bank manager says that it was a different time, time didn't match, so that's why he was released. But once he was released, his lawyer said, here's this evidence that shows that he didn't purchase the gas at the time they're saying it was another time. Now, I'm confused because normally, you know, you go to court, you have your day, and if they say he's innocent, he's innocent. So that's why I'm still confused. Me and Dorothy were like, what? The detectives didn't even know. They were baffled, and they felt horrible because they had to let us know. I'm like, what do you mean? You're saying that he's never going to be charged? That he just, he just got away with murder? Carolyn tells us what she thinks happened that night on March 4th and why her little sister, Alicia Suarez, was killed. I think I know 
very well what happened. It was a fear. She went with her friend. She bumped into him that night. She saw him and she was like, oh, heck no. So she went home. She didn't want to deal with it. Her best friend dropped the wall. I believe he waited for her, uh, her friend to leave, knocked on the door. I believe the argument started from the moment he opened that door. Knowing him, he's tall, he's thick something. Came in, I believe they started arguing. I have a funny feeling, my sister told him, I'm getting married to get, get the hell out kind of thing. And I believe he snapped. I don't think he had plans to murder her. This is, this is a crime of passion. This definitely is a crime of passion. Especially where he stabbed her all through her chest. I believe he snapped. I believe he went in there to try to convince her. And then he, you know, imagine you try to get back with your ex and then out of the blue, she's going to tell you, you know what? I'm getting married. Get the hell out of my house. And he snapped and grabbed what was nearest to him. Alicia had this letter opener. It was always on top of the kitchen table, the counter. When she was murdered, that letter opener was nowhere to be found. When they did her autopsy, they said that it was probably the letter opener. They never found it. Never, never found it. The day he saw her, he was wearing some type of hoodie. I believe it was a blue hoodie and jeans. And he lied to the cop. He did not give the clothes that he was wearing that day. They never got the clothes. He keeps saying that he didn't wear that, but our best friends are like, he's lying. He had this on. Come on. Everybody knows. The puzzle. The puzzle's done. The murder of Alicia Suarez reverberated through many, many lives especially the man that was her fiancé and the father of her child. He loved my sisters. They were like little kids, little young teenagers in love, and then they were growing into their adult love. Finally, when he felt like, okay, I'm ready to be a husband and a father, that was taken from him as well. So it punched him right in the stomach. And then he has to automatically be a not a part-time dad, but a full-time dad, learn to comb her hair, learn to know how Alicia had. Alicia was very structured, like me with the kids. You know, you go to bed at this time, you eat healthy foods, you this, you that. I was worried, but, you know, he did do a good job. It, it was hard. He, he, sometimes she would come up with one ponytail up and one down, but it was so cute because he was really trying and he would do it all by himself. And yeah. me, my arm was like, he's trying. And then eventually those ponytails were just perfect. You know what I mean? This March marked two decades since Alicia's murder. Her little girl, Clarissa, who was only three at the time, is now a 23-year-old young woman. She grew up with many loving, supportive, and sometimes overprotective family members around her. Life has to go on, and this family is full of faith and love, and they won't let the person who murdered Alicia take anything else from them. Here's Alicia's childhood friend, Lisette. You know, of course, I dream of what could have been. It's just, it really stinks that her daughter didn't have that opportunity to to feel her love and, and to know her kindness and her, her potential. Here's Aunt Dorothy again. I mean, I cannot bring Alicia back, and maybe he won't do a day in jail, but he's not going to escape God's justice. But this statue needs to be changed. A butterfly lights beside us like a sunbeam. And for a brief moment, its glory and beauty belong to our world. But then it flies on again, and though we wish it could have stayed, we feel so lucky to have seen it. Amy Maurer. As the law stands right now, 
If police did in fact arrest the right man the first time, Carolyn and her family will not see justice served for Alicia on this side of heaven. Rest in peace, Alicia Dorothy Suarez. If you do have any additional information about Alicia's murder that hasn't been mentioned here, you can call Central Florida Crime Line's anonymous tip line at 1-800-423-TIPS. That's 1-800-423-8477. We would also like to take the opportunity here. If anybody is in a relationship where they see red flags and would like someone to talk to, they can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Their number is 800 799 7233. They're available 24 hours a day, or you can visit their website at thehotline.org. You can also text them START at 88788. Thank you for joining us on this episode where we had the opportunity to learn about Alicia Suarez. It's just so tragic that the firefighters show up and Alicia's neighbors and everybody she worked with, everybody was so heartbroken that she was just full of life and to know that that somebody stabbed her multiple times in the chest and and neck and then piled bedding on her in a chair and doused her in gasoline and lit her on fire. This is just one of those sad cases, just seems so unnecessary. Very, and even just their upbringing. I don't know about you, but when Karen was telling us some of the horrific things and some things that we couldn't even include here for time's sake, I mean, they really had an upbringing that is truly horrific. So for them to come through and be where they were when Alicia's life was taken is just so tragic. And to know that everything that Carolyn did to protect her sister, that Alicia was just on a path to really making a difference, like creating a new legacy for her family name. And she didn't put herself in a position to be hurt. She had went so far out of her way to not be what she was raised in. And I think for Carolyn to feel protective of her and knowing what Carolyn had to go through and just really what all of those children had to go through. And there's so many people that struggle to make good life choices that have had every opportunity. And these children had every reason to not succeed in life or to really, you know, kind of take another path. But yet they like bonded and they decided to make a different life for themselves. So that is what makes this just so tragic. So because once she knew those red flags existed with Angel and the lies and just his red flags that came out, like she immediately got out. She didn't play this game back and forth. And like Carolyn says, you know, she heard him yelling on the phone. She heard him being obsessive about her and it was just tragic because it wasn't like she wasn't in that situation not knowing what to do. And the saddest part is like her love story with Caleb. They were both finally maturing. They were going to get married that summer. They finally were at that point. It seems like they just really grew up together and they finally came to that point where like, okay, we're going to do this. Right. And they talked about how that's just how much that Alicia wanted a good life for her daughter is that she loved Caleb, but she just, he didn't feel like he was in a place to be ready to be a parent. And Alicia was just dead set on making sure that she did not raise her daughter in the environment that she was raised in. So I just, I I think that's really sad and so sad for for Caleb too. Yeah, the way he just took over his daughter and, you know, like he said, she's all I have left. I mean, he could have, Alicia's family would have taken that child too and helped them all raise together. 
but he took full responsibility. I mean, imagine you're grieving this woman that you were going to be getting married to. She's murdered. I just can't imagine the thoughts that he had that he really did have the wherewithal to be able to raise her and do such a good job. Yeah. You know, obviously the suspects, and I don't think it's plural, but let's just unpack this for a second. So I guess everybody around Alicia just instantly thought that Angel had to be responsible for this. What kills me is they had been broken up for over a year, Mm -hmm. but that he would occasionally just pop back up or she would see him somewhere where he obviously put himself there were those signs that even though he had a serious girlfriend and he tried to obviously, you know, when he tried to say, it's not my girlfriend, it's my sister. That to me, that whole story, it just shows me too how Alicia just believed him and the fact that, you know what I mean? Like she was just so innocent in, the beginning, in that. She yeah, believed she believed him before, yeah, yeah. until the sister said, you know, Carolyn said, you go, go over there and meet her. I know, you know, I could just imagine that conversation. Here's some cake. Let's get to know you, sister. And I, oh, goodness. Oh, hey, I'm the girlfriend, actually, yeah. not the sister. So, But what nerve he had. Like, she knew where they lived. He would, dro- She would drop him off sometimes. She could have opened that door at any time. I think that's what we were talking with Carolyn, just the nerve. But he probably manipulated the girlfriend, too. And guys like that can manipulate. It's, it's really shocking how much they can and he suck went you to into the that. Fu- well, no, no. So he does all that. Then he also ends up going to the crime scene, right? The morning of the fire? Yes, he did. And he said he just wanted to see what was going on. He was checking on her. There's a lot We know what statistics are about people returning to the crime scene. That is often one of the telltale signs. There really were, from any information that we found and anybody that we talked to, there really were no other suspects. There was no sign of forced entry. However, we know that Angel said he left and left the door open when he left because she was sleeping on the couch. I don't find that crazy absurd. I know you think that that's something nobody would do. You would leave the door open? Now, when when she said left the door open, did she mean like ajar or open unlocked? Unlocked. Okay, so that does make... Okay, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was saying she's sleeping on the couch, so... I didn't want to wake her, so I left. I closed the door. Okay, he says, you're right. Yeah, because I, I would do that. Like, and if I didn't have a key, and I, but, but come on, you can also just lock this door and still slam it shut. You know what I mean? Most doors could still lock that way. I don't find that so crazy. However, just the fact that everybody says that she would not have invited him over there, there's just so many things. And I just don't know. I mean, I get the receipt, and you and I go back and forth on this too. We always see things so differently. You know, just working at a bank. And yes, it might have been, it could have just been a simple encoding error. How much investigation, once they were told that, did they go into computer forensics and and check that? Did they check it up against anything else? Or did they just say, oh, look. I think that by the time they went to check it, this is one of those weird laws. that They're usually not used in murder cases, period. But there has been a couple. I think the last one that was used was in 2008. I just think, and again, we really don't have any other suspects to go over with you guys because this is, like I said, I think it's pretty straightforward. I think even um, the police, according to Carolyn, like everybody was kind of heartbroken over this, that they know who did it. But because of this random law that applied in this fact. But it also is a constitutional right that we have to have to protect anyone. Like if you were 
innocent and you were being charged with something, you would want that right to a speedy trial. Right. That is well, our constitutional right. Yes. And, and harms at I know, time, it just so. seems like it's so, I mean, when you hear it, I just get so irate. But then when you look at the other side or you hear from the prosecutors, like why it's set in place, it's just, it's tragic all around. It is. And there is always the chance that not all the information is out there. So that's why we wanted to bring this to you guys. Again, we think we know the suspect, and but there's always the off chance that you guys can bring information out there that nobody knew even existed. So we just bring this to you in hopes that you will have information and that we can bring something to this family. Carolyn is sure doing everything that she can to change this, and specifically in this case, so that her sister can at least have some form of justice. And like she says, even if it just goes to trial, you know, that's all they're asking is that this just go to trial so that the facts can be laid out there. As always, thank you guys for joining us. We really appreciate you listening and we look forward to connecting with you guys on the next episode. Alicia's story has been featured in the Florida Cold Case Playing Cards. If you'd like your own set, Dealing Justice doesn't sell them, but we know who does. You can visit our Dealing Justice Facebook page for more information. And we want to thank Liz Morgan PR for being absolutely amazing and sponsoring us. Liz Morgan PR is a boutique public relations firm specializing in media relations, event planning, and communication strategy. Founder, president, and friend Liz Morgan is a creative, award-winning public relations professional with one goal in mind, getting her clients buzz. Like us on Facebook at Cold Case Playing Cards for all the latest information on this case and other cards we'll be featuring on future episodes. Dealing Justice is written, produced, and hosted by Jennifer Dubasak and myself, Lori Jennings. Our sound design is by John Schaub. Our executive consultant is the Cold Case Playing Cards creator, retired FDLE special agent Tommy Ray. If you want to help us spread the word about these victims' stories, please subscribe and leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends to subscribe. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.